Father, wherever your word is preached this morning, we pray that the hearts of your people would be blessed and that lives would be changed, that wills would be conformed to your will, Lord God, and that wherever your word is preached, people would surrender all to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 37, verses 12 through 28. I'm reading out of the New International Version of God's holy word. Please feel free to follow in whatever version you may have. My Bible reads this way. Now his brothers had gone to graze their flocks near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off to the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went with his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance. And before he reached him, them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of, this, of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay, a hand, not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to Egypt. May God add a blessing to the reading of his holy word. Will you pray with me? Father, as your word is explained, we pray that you will be exalted. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all who are God's people said. Amen. In 1987, illustrator Mark Hanford introduced us to an animated character that would become a worldwide phenomenon. The character had a distinctive look to him. He had always wore this red and white striped shirt. He always had on this red and white large hat and these large framed glasses. The, the character had such a distinctive look to him 
that you would immediately be able to spot him in a crowd. And that was the point. The name of this character was Wally or Waldo. And in 1987, illustrator Mark Hanford challenged the world to find where is Waldo hidden in a crowd. It's been almost 30 years since Waldo was first introduced to the world. And now you can not only just find Waldo in, in books, you can try to find him in, in newspapers. There's even an animated series dedicated to this character. You, you can even play a Where is Waldo video game. In fact, once a year, Waldo enthusiasts gather from all over the world in one place, all wearing that familiar red and white striped shirt, all wearing that familiar hat, all wearing that from those familiar glasses. And they play the Where is Waldo game. And in the past 30 years, you can try to find Waldo at every Super Bowl over the last 30 years. You, you can try to locate Waldo as he's vacationing at the Great Wall of China. You can try to find Waldo as he is looking at the Acropolis, the, the, the Greek in, in Greece. You can try to find Waldo even as he's running with the bulls in Pamplona, Spain. For whatever reason, the world seems fascinated with trying to discover where is Waldo, wherever he's hidden. Reading Genesis chapter 37 is like playing a game of where is Waldo, except the missing character that you have to look hard to find is not Waldo, but it's God. Read the chapter for yourself. God's name is never once mentioned. He's never prayed to. He's never called upon. It's almost as if God is missing from the pages of Genesis chapter 37. It's, it's almost as if God is not involved at all in what happens to Joseph. And if you're perfectly honest with yourself this morning, there are times in, in your life and in my life where we too wonder, where is God? But just because you, you can't find God sometimes in, in your situations, just because you, you can't find God in your trials and in your circumstances, doesn't mean that God isn't there. It simply means that you're not looking hard enough to find him. The message of the sermon this morning, the, the message of Genesis 37 is that God is never absent from our circumstances. God is never absent from our tragedies. God is always involved in the things that happen to us. Genesis chapter 37 begins an important section of the book of Genesis known as the Joseph cycle. For the next 13 chapters, we will know everything there is to know about a young man named Joseph. We will travel with Joseph from the time that he is a boy of only 17 years old up until the point that he is a man ruling second in command all over Egypt. The Joseph cycle traces the development of this young man as he grows from a boy into a man. 
The Joseph cycle serves an important function in the book of Genesis because in the sequel to the book of Genesis, the book of Exodus, we find Israel in Egypt and in servitude. The Joseph cycle explains to us how Israel got to Egypt in the first place. In order for Israel to get to Egypt, Joseph must get to Egypt. The Joseph cycle explains to us how Joseph got to Egypt. We are introduced to this young man named Joseph in the opening verses of Genesis chapter 37. And in these opening verses, we are told a little about the family dynamic in the Joseph family. Joseph is the 11th of 12 children born to a man named Jacob. We are given some information about the family dynamic between Joseph and his father Jacob. When it comes to the relationship between Joseph and Jacob, Jacob loves Joseph. In fact, Joseph is the favorite son of Jacob, born to his favorite wife named Rachel. In fact, Jacob loves Joseph so much as a sign of his privileged status, Jacob gives Joseph this, this elaborate jacket, that coat that Joseph frequently fronts, fronts in front of his brothers. We are also given some information about the family dynamic between Joseph and his other brothers. Jacob loved Joseph, but when it came to the relationship between Joseph and his brothers, his brothers hated Joseph. Joseph was lazy, didn't want to work in the hot desert sun, watching over his father's sheep. Therefore, his brothers hated Joseph. Joseph was, was prone to inventing stories, telling on his brothers, telling his father all that they were doing wrong. Therefore, his brothers hated Joseph. Joseph would frequently flaunt this coat that his father had given him in front of his brothers. Therefore, his brothers hated Joseph. And Joseph was also prone to, to dreaming dreams where he would rule over his other brothers. Therefore, his brothers hated Joseph. There are times in your life and in my life, for those of us who have siblings, where every once in a while our, our, our siblings, our brothers and sisters did something to us that got on our nerves and, and we might in frustration say, I hate you! But we really don't hate them. We, we, we love our siblings. But in Genesis chapter 37, verse 4, when it says that Joseph's brothers hated Joseph, they really mean that Joseph's brothers hated Joseph. Like Nick's fan hate LeBron James, Joseph's brothers hated Joseph like Donald Trump hates Mexicans. That's how much Joseph's brothers <laughs> hated Joseph. And even either his father doesn't know or his father doesn't care. But for whatever reason, his father sends Joseph out to look for his brothers. He gives Joseph an assignment, and a, an assignment that Joseph accepts. But when Joseph gets to the place where his brothers are supposed to be, they are no longer there. He, he discovers that they had moved from the place where they were supposed to be, Shechem, to another place, Dothan. Back in Genesis chapter 34, 
their sister Dinah was raped by a group of men. And Joseph's brothers massacred the whole family right in that area in Shechem. Therefore, it made sense for them to leave. It, it might have not have been safe for Joseph's brothers to be there. So, so they depart and go somewhere more safe. That location is Dothan. Have you ever seen a, a man in a bright red or purple suit? It's almost like you can see him coming from miles and miles and miles away. So here it is. Joseph is walking down the street to Dothan. His brothers recognize him, not because they see his face, but because they see this bright jacket. And then they begin to plot against their brother. The plot that they create is one of murder and deception. They intend to kill their brother Joseph and then deceive their father into thinking that some wild animal has done this. All of the brothers agree to this plot, except for one brother, Reuben. Reuben is the, the oldest of Jacob's son. And as the oldest, Reuben should have been the most favorite son. All the attention that Joseph is getting should be Reuben's. Reuben should be the one who his father had given this bright jacket. Reuben should have been the one who his father loved more than any of the other sons. Reuben should have been the most favorite child as the first child. And more so than any other of his brothers, Reuben has reason to hate Joseph. But rather than agreeing to the plot to kill Joseph, Reuben does something entirely different. We are told in the story that Reuben intervenes on Joseph's behalf. He speaks to his brothers and says, let's not kill Joseph. His, his plan is to have his brothers throw Joseph into the cistern and then rescue Joseph later on. His plan is to have his brothers throw Joseph into the cistern and then rescue Joseph later on. Did you catch that? I think I just found God making an appearance in this text. God is in Reuben, who God has positioned in the very place that Joseph needs him to be so that Reuben can rescue Joseph. And can I tell you something this morning, Arhau? God has positioned people in your life to help you, to bless you, to rescue you, to encourage you. You can never ask, where is God in your life? Because God has always surrounded you with people who are in your life right now. And without those people, you wouldn't be where you're at right now. I don't know most of you in here, but, but I can tell you your testimony right now. God placed certain person in your life who helped you get the job you have right now. God placed 
a certain person in your life who helped you get that apartment you have right now. God placed a certain person in your life who helped you get off of addiction right now. God has placed people in your life to bless you, to help you, to encourage you, or to edify you. God is in the business of positioning people in places to help other people. I, I, I know I'm right about it. Because the Bible tells me so. In, in, in the book of Esther, King Mordecai is looking for a bride. Out of all the women in his kingdom that he can choose, he chooses a woman named Esther. Esther happens to be a, a Jewish woman. And during that time, there is this plot going on to exterminate the Jewish people. And Esther's uncle comes to her and tells her that, that God didn't just position you in this, in this place for you to be queen and do nothing. God placed you in this position for such as time as this so you could rescue his people. God has positioned people in your life so that they can help you, bless you, encourage you, or rescue you. Can, can I share with you a, a, a page out of my journal of my journeys with Jesus? My wife and I, we moved here from Chicago to New York. And I know they say con confession is good for the soul, but, but confession is also sometimes bad for the reputation, so, so please don't judge me. <laughs> I moved here from Chicago to New York, and, and, and in Manhattan they have such a thing as alternate side street cleaning where you're supposed to wake up in the morning and, and move your car. But, but being from Chicago, I didn't know. So in the first month, I got maybe 15 tickets <laughs> on my car, all from alternate side street cleaning. But, but here's what I thought. I thought when I transferred my license, my tag, from a Illinois state to a New York state, all those tickets would just magically disappear. <laughs> I found out I was wrong. <laughs> when I woke up Friday morning to discover that my car was missing, <laughs> I had to come all the way here to, to Borough Hall in Brooklyn to pay for my tickets. And when I got there, I discovered that what I thought I only owed was $700, I really owed $1,500. Because you see, I had gotten a bunch of tickets on the car and didn't tell my wife. And my wife had gotten a bunch of tickets on the car. <laughs> and didn't tell me. And I didn't have $1,500 on me, because you see, I got a check in and a savings in my account, no. <laughs> That's how my, my bank account is set up. And as the woman told me, you either pay me $1,500, or you, your car has to stay in the pound, 
not only for Friday night, but for Saturday night and Sunday night too. And rather than $1,500, you'll owe close to $2,000 because the tow pound is going to charge you their money. I heard all this our how and my heart sank. And all I looked, I, I, I wanted to say something. I, I wanted to cuss, but, but the Spirit of God got in me. And I told her, bless you, I'm accounted all joy. And she said, what? I said, I will count it all joy. And she asked me, where, where did you learn that? And I said, I, I, I preach it every Sunday. You a preacher? <laughs> yes, I'm a preacher. What church? For real, my church is right down the street. <laughs> How much money you got in your pocket? I got $700. Give it here. Take this. Go get your car. If that woman walked by me today, I wouldn't recognize her. I don't remember her name. I don't know anything about her. But I, I know this, that God put her that day. He positioned her in that place. She could have called off the work. I, I, I could have been in front of someone who didn't know Jesus, didn't care that I was a preacher. But, but I believe that God positioned her that day so that she can bless me. And God has positioned people in your life in places when you need them for them to bless you and encourage you. Reuben was that person for Joseph. We find God in Reuben. And we find God in the people he positions in places to bless you and to help you. Reuben's plan is to have them throw Jake, Joseph down into the cistern and, and later on rescue Joseph and return Joseph back to his father, Jacob. But, but that doesn't help Israel get to Egypt. We don't need Joseph back with his father. We need Joseph in Egypt. Because Joseph has to first get to Egypt, and then the rest of the family gets to Egypt, and then we have the book of Exodus. Enter Judah. Judah as they are eating a meal after they have carried out their plan with, with ruthless efficiency, Judah notices somebody, a, a caravan of Ishmaelites, off into the background. And Judah suggests to his other brothers that it's no financial benefit for them to, to try to kill Joseph. Here's something where they can gain financially. Why don't they sell them, sell Joseph to the Ishmaelites who happened to be going to Egypt? Now, now, Judah doesn't say this so that he can help his brother. Judah says this so that he can hurt his brother. Now, though the Joseph cycle is about Joseph, Judah is the son of promise. It is Judah who, who receives the blessing of, of the patriarchs. It is Judah who will be turned into that, that incredible tribe. It is Judah 
who is given the scepter and the crown. And later on, the tribe of Judah will have their highlights, their high moments. It, 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 it's David comes from the tribe of Judah. Solomon comes from the tribe of Judah. And, and Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah. Judah will do some incredible things later on. But here, <laughs> Judah is at his low point. He's at his lowest point. He is plotting against his brother for financial gain. Judah is not trying to save his brother. He's trying to hurt his brother. Judah is up to no good. He's scheming. He's plotting. He, he, he's trying to bring down his brother. But, but, but can I tell you something this morning, our house? I see God in Judah too. God is just not restricted to working through people to help you. God can also work in spite of people to help you. <laughs> Judah's plan to hurt Joseph will actually bring Joseph to Egypt where Joseph will be elevated. Judah doesn't know it, but in trying to bring down Joseph, he's actually elevating Joseph. Judah doesn't know it, but in trying to hurt Joseph, he's actually helping Joseph. Judah doesn't know it, but in, while he's plotting on Joseph, God is planning through Judah. And the good news for us this morning, our how is that there will be Judas in your life. People who try to hurt you in your relationships, at your job, people who mean you no good, but God can work through those people to bless you anyhow. God is not restricted to working through Christians. God is so sovereign that God can work through people who want to hurt you. God can work in spite of people who want to see you bring brought down. That, that, that's why one of Israel's earliest confessions is found in the book of Isaiah. It says, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. It's not that people won't form weapons against you. People will try to hurt you. People will plot against you. People will scheme about you. But God can turn their plots and their schemes around so that it'll bless you. One, one of my favorite ancient preachers put it this way. Those that be against us, even without their will, they become to us a cause of crowns. And in God's wisdom, he turneth their plots unto our salvation and our glory. God can even work through people who are out to hurt you. In Numbers 23, we are told the story of the king of Moab who hires this mercenary prophet named Balaam to speak curses against the Israelites. He, he, he pays Balaam a fortune so Balaam can curse the Israelites. And, and remember what happens Every time Balaam 
tries to open his mouth to curse the Israelites, he can't get the curses out. God transforms his words only to blessing. There are people who are out there to curse us, but God can transform their words into blessing. Chuck Jones is the, is the creator of the Wally Coyote and Roadrunner cartoon. Is there anyone else in here other than me who grew up watching that? Here's the basic plot of the cartoon. While E. Coyote spends all of his time trying to dine on Roadrunner meat, and for the past 60, 70 years, he's created thousands upon thousands and thousands of plots, but none of them has ever worked. Now, now, now think about it. While E. Coyote really does have genius-level intellect, He's the smartest coyote I've ever seen in my life. And while E. Coyote has unlimited financial resources, because I don't know how he do it, but every time you turn around, he's buying something from Acme that'll help him eat the Roadrunner. But in, in the thousands of episodes of this cartoon, he's never been successful in any of his plots, even though he does have unlimited resources and, and genius-level intellect. I, I recently found out why that was. There is such a thing known as roadrunner rules. It was Chuck Jones put in place to, to sort of govern that Wiley Coyote roadrunner universe. Lots of rules in there, 10 in total, but but one I want to focus on this morning. One of the most important rules, probably the most important rule of the Wild E. Coyote Roadrunner universe is that for all the plots and schemes of Wild E. Coyote, they will never derail the Roadrunner. Watch, Watch the cartoon. The roadrunner never goes off the road. He could be running right into one of the traps. But before he gets to one of the traps, the traps seem to magically blow up and explode on their own so that the roadrunner never has to go off the road. All he has to do is keep running straight. You just missed it, Arha. Let me try it again. There are rules that govern the Wild E. Coyote Roadrunner universe. One of the rules is that no dialogue must ever happen except the Roadrunner saying beep, beep. But the most important rule is that the Roadrunner must never go off the road to evade the trap. All he has to do is keep being faithful and running towards the trap. And the trap will by itself explode and the road runner could keep going on that same road. I know y'all understand me, but ain't nobody saying beep, beep. God has rules that govern the lives of his people. If you just keep being faithful to God, even in spite 
of the plots and schemes of people. All you have to do is keep running down the path that God has set for you. And God will arrange it so that the plots and the schemes of people blow up in their face without you having to do anything. Judah is out to hurt Joseph. But we find God in Judah and that God can turn people's plots and schemes around so that they'll bless you instead of hurt you. I'm almost done. Can I show you one more thing and then I promise to sit down? God is in people that he positions in places so that they can bless you. God is also in people who try to hurt and scheme and plot against you, but God turns their schemes and plots around so that they can bless you. And let's just put a nice little bow on this. God is in everything else. There are a series of events that happen in Joseph's life that just seem like mere coincidences until you realize that these aren't mere coincidences. These are all things that God designed and planned so that Joseph could get to his destiny. Let let me show you. Joseph goes to Shechem, where he just happens to meet a man who guides him towards Dotham. When Joseph gets to Dotham, they throw him into a cistern where along the road just happens to be a group of Ishmaelites who are going where? To Egypt. And these Ishmaelites just happen to sell him to a man named Potiphar. And we know what happens after that. And and these things just seem to be things that just happen until you look closely enough And you see, these things aren't just happening. These are evidence of God's hand in Joseph's life. That things in your life don't just happen. That God is directing. God is backstage orchestrating the events in your life to his end. And the good news for you this morning is, when I read my Bible... God has told me through Paul that all things work for your good. You may not be able to see it now, just like Joseph didn't see how being thrown into a cistern would ultimately work out for his good. But God is in the background directing the events of your life so that at the end, you win. Isn't that good news, our <laughs> That even when you don't see God, even when you have a hard time recognizing where God is in your situation, God is there directing and orchestrating things to his desired end. I'm done. Ben-Hur before the Titanic was the most awarded movie of all time. It won an astounding 11 Academy Awards. If you've ever seen Ben-Hur. You know the movie because of the iconic chariot race. There's a chariot race in that movie that that many people call the greatest scene 
in the history of movies. It, it, it was Charlton Heston on a chariot, running through different chariots, running up and over. But the only problem was, before they shot the scene, Charlton Heston made a confession to the director, William Wyler. Listen, I don't know how to ride a chariot. I barely know how to ride a horse. So William Wyler, the director, gave him four months to learn how to ride a chariot, how to ride a horse. And, and after these four months, Charlton Heston came back to the director and he said, listen, I now can ride a horse, I now can ride a chariot. I can stay on the chariot, but I'm not sure I can win the race. And that's when William Ryler reminded him of the difference between an actor and a director. He told him, Charlton, I just need you to act on the scene. I just need you to stay on the chariot. I'm the director. I'll make sure you win. And that's my word to you this morning, R, how God doesn't need you to do anything else but for you to be faithful. All he needs for you to do is to continue to be faithful to Jesus, continue to be faithful to his word. And good news is at the end, because he is in the background directing all the events in your life, he'll make sure you win. Will you pray with me? Father, we do thank you, Lord God, because you are never absent from the events of our lives. You are never gone. You are always there even when we don't see you, directing the path of our lives. Thank you for how you are a constant and abiding presence in our lives, Lord God. And we pray that we would never lose faith.